And I don't know who that young guy was at the start of that video, but um, wow, good looking guy, no glasses, a little more hair, uh, all of that stuff, a little thinner. But uh, this is a great day for us as a church. Uh, every September, uh, we launch our fall ministry year or our ministry year in September each year, and we always do that with a bit of a party, a fall launch party. Uh, obviously, this year is special because this year does Mark, uh, 10 years of existence for us as a church, and uh, it's good for us to to celebrate together. I mean, the Bible is filled with instructions about how we, as God's people, are supposed to gather together for, uh, for singing, for a time of instruction, for fellowship together, and also for celebration. Sharing a meal together, celebrating together is not sort of a luxury for the church. This is what we do as God's people. We celebrate his goodness to us in so many ways. This is part of what it means to be part of a family. And again, this year is a special year for us to do that. Really, a lot has happened in the past 10 years Uh, Some of you joined us from the very beginning. Some of you came later than that. Some of you are brand new uh, today for the first time. But as I kind of surveyed the last 10 years and thought about, you know, what kind of message do I want to share on this day, my mind immediately went to the way that Paul begins most of the letters that we find in the New Testament. And he begins those letters with a note of thanksgiving for the church. So in the book of Romans, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. We sometimes think of the Corinthian church as a deeply troubled church, and it was. But listen to what Paul said at the start of that letter. He said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Or when Paul wrote to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus, he said this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul said something similar to the church at Colossae. He said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. I love the way he expressed his thanksgiving for the church in the city of Thessalonica. He said, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, the introduction and the Thanksgiving section in all of Paul's letters that stood out to me most as I thought about the past 10 years was the one that we find in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 3 to 11 of that chapter this morning. Uh, As we do many weeks, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I want to encourage you to hear God's Word to us this morning. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. You can be seated. Now, some of you may know that when we launched our church 10 years ago, we launched with a series in the book of Philippians. And the reason I am going back to Philippians chapter 1 this morning is not because I have run out of things to say 10 years in, and I'm just going to start repeating myself, but because I actually have a new appreciation For what Paul says in this passage, I have a much better understanding of what partnership in the gospel looks like than I did 10 years ago. So I try to tell my wife and my kids that I love them every day. But there are special days like birthdays and anniversaries where we try to do that in a special way. In the same way, I hope you understand the love that I have for this church. I hope that's clear on a week-to-week or a day-to-day basis. And when I say that, I don't mean that I love this church as an ideal. I mean you who make up this church. And I want to express that in as clear a fashion as I can this morning. And it's really out of that heart that I want to share with you three things that come out of this passage. And the first thing I want you to know about is my thankfulness for the past. Paul starts out by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, Paul planted the church in the city of Philippi. He's now separated from them, but he looks back on them with great fondness. And what he remembers in particular is their partnership in the gospel with him. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now most scholars think that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians about 10 years after he planted this church and that's part of why I was drawn to this passage as well. When I think about the past 10 years of our existence as a church, my mind goes to a hundred different memories of what your partnership in the gospel has looked like. So I will never forget launch Sunday. We had no idea who or how many people would show up. We rented this theater in those days. It was a functioning movie theater. And on the night before launch Sunday, it poured rain. There was a drain in the back alley. That drain got clogged. Water poured in through the back door. It flooded the front of this building up to about the first or second row on this side. We showed up at 7 a.m. that morning to discover that Jeff Unruh, who was playing in the band that day, was here early. Instead of rehearsing with the band, he went home, got a shop vac, cleaned up the whole mess. That's what partnership has looked like from day one. 
in the early days, I would come in here. I would sweep up the, the floor of the club. I mean, there was a ton of popcorn and Skittles and all manner of things. I would sweep it. I would mop it, try to mop all the pop off the floor. We would still stick to it as we kind of shifted our feet during worship. But I remember on one of those Sundays, as I was cleaning up, as the band was rehearsing, a pigeon flew in the back door, started kind of bombing around the theater. Jason Simpson, our drummer... Someone handed him a tennis ball. He took one perfect shot, stunned the pigeon. He picked it up, set him free in the back alley. Now, honestly, Jason, I don't know uh, if I've remembered that incorrectly. That's the way I want to remember it. One shot. Maybe it was two or three shots. Maybe everyone took a turn. Maybe you used your voice acting skills and did a bird call or something. But what I remember is one shot things out the back door. Now, Jason has been drumming with us for 10 years. I mean, that's partnership. You know, we are between, in between offices right now. But you might remember, if you were here in the early days, we did not have an office. I tried working from home, but Ilona was homeschooling all four of our kids at the time, so that lasted about a week. So every morning, I would go to Starbucks. I would work in a Starbucks for three or four hours And then I would leave that Starbucks, I would go to a different Starbucks and work in that one for three or four hours. If I was feeling sort of, you know, I need a break from the routine, I would actually drive down to Bellingham and I would spend the whole day at a Starbucks in in Bellingham. My clothes reeked of coffee. And I don't even like coffee. I don't drink coffee. But in the midst of that, I remember Chris and Aaron Davidson had an unfinished basement. They finished a room in their unfinished basement and offered it to me for an office. And I did that for a year or two. That's what partnership has looked like. When we did get office space and when we bought this building and the one across the street started leasing the 58, so many of you showed up to help us renovate. And the buildings that we inhabit today are literally the product of our collective blood, sweat, and tears. That's partnership. On top of that is the financial partnership that we have experienced from the first day until now. We've experienced the generosity of God's people. You've been faithful in giving and supporting this work. In the early days, all of our accounting was done through our denomination's office out in Abbotsford. And the bookkeeper there once told me, she said, Lee, I've never seen a church plant that gives like this or is financially sustainable as quickly as Crossridge is. And that is despite the fact that I forget to mention the offering most weeks. That's partnership. And there are so many other ways that we have been partners in the gospel together. The countless number of hours that have been given by our volunteers. You've served faithfully and sacrificially in kids ministry, in youth ministry, as part of our Sunday serve team, setting up, tearing down, greeting, ushering, security, making coffee, serving on the tech team leading us in worship, playing in bands. You've partnered in the gospel by leading or hosting community groups, by opening up your home, by showing hospitality, by teaching others. In addition to all that are the spontaneous ways that you have partnered in this work of the gospel. We have an incredible meal team that makes meals for those who are dealing with illness or who have welcomed a new baby or who are dealing with grief. There's another group of people who faithfully make meals when we host Christianity Explored or Alpha Nights. It's worth coming to those for the food alone. 
And there are a host of other ways that you have partnered in this work in unofficial capacities, just looking out for newcomers, making them feel welcome, inviting others to church, inviting neighborhood kids to come to our kids' camp. And there are too many examples to mention. The thing I want you to know is that I thank my God in all my remembrance of all for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And again, some of you have been here since the first day. Some of you came a few years in. Some of you are more recent than that. But part of what it means for every one of us to be part of this church is that we commit ourselves individually and collectively to our mission of knowing Jesus and making him known. That's partnership. Now, I have a lot of thankfulness in my heart for the past. I think it's important to share that. But I do also want to share with you some encouragement in the present. So let's think first about the text. Paul says he is thankful for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the until now part brings us into the present. Paul planted the church in Philippi, but he's separated from them now. Paul was physically separated from the Philippians, but that didn't change his affections for them, nor their affection for him. Now, physical separation can be a bit of a test for relationships. I mean, you sometimes see this in romantic relationships. And we have complete competing cliches to speak about this, right? So we will say, sometimes we will say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. At other times, we will say, out of sight, out of mind. And in one sense, that's true of all relationships. Physical separation is a bit of a test of the relationship's strength. So which of those cliches best describes the situation in the church? Well, in Paul's case, it was that absence made the heart grow fonder. That's why in verse 7 he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. In verse 8 he goes on to say, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I feel that same way about you. I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, we experienced something of the physical separation this past year. There was a period of nearly seven months where we were not permitted to gather as a church. Now, we did lots to try to make connections and stay connected, lots of drive-by events. We did lots of Zoom stuff. But that separation was a bit of a test. Was it a separation that made that where the absence made the heart grow fonder, or was it a separation where it became out of sight, out of mind? That's a test for a church. And I'm actually encouraged with how well we weathered that season. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who who were able to stay connected. Or I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who said, you know what, now that we're back, it's so good to be back. I mean, I hadn't realized how important it is for me to, to be gathered together with God's people, but I see it now. Didn't know how important gathering as a church was until it was taken away. But there was more than just a physical separation on Paul's mind as he penned these words. Paul's present set of circumstances 
was that he was in prison. And that's what he said in in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers. That is, same root word, partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Part of what Paul was saying was that the partnership he experienced with the Philippians, the fellowship he experienced with them, extended into difficult circumstances. The Philippians didn't end their connection with Paul when he went to prison. And I think it's important to take note of this. So just as physical separation reveals a lot about the nature of a relationship, so too does a set of difficult circumstances. And you can tell a lot about the nature of a relationship by what happens in the midst of trying times. And churches always walk through difficult times together. Again, you can tell a lot about the nature of relationship by what happens in those times. I mean, everybody shows up on the day of a party, right? But your real friends are the ones who show up on the day you have to move. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I can't make it today. I'm not going to be able to help you with that. I'm busy. Paul says that the Philippians were partakers of grace with him in his imprisonment. So what did that look like? Well, it means that they shared in his sufferings. And later in this letter, he will go on to say, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, in context, what Paul is referring to there in chapter 4 is the fact that the Philippians had sent a financial gift to look after some of Paul's needs. But that's really what it means to be part of a church, isn't it? To share in each other's troubles. Now, we haven't done this perfectly, but that is what we've tried to do even in the midst of all this. And again, I think this has gone both ways. But we should notice it wasn't just the connection between Paul and the Philippians that didn't end when he was sitting in a Roman prison. It says, you've been partners or partakers of grace with me both in my imprisonment and in my defense of the gospel. And he wants us to know the gospel can advance even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Listen to what he goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, just kind of outside the reach of this passage. He says, I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So how is that possible? I mean, how is it that Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, but the gospel continues to go forward? And the answer is that the advancement of the gospel is not dependent on our circumstances. One thing we've tried to communicate from the very beginning of the COVID situation is that the church is not closed. A global pandemic is not a reason to fold up shop, put the mission on hold, and go hide in our basements. If Paul saw his imprisonment as an opportunity for mission, we should view our circumstances in the same way. Loneliness, fear, depression are at all-time highs. Does the gospel have anything to say into that? 
I've shared this quote with you before, but it's such a good description of how it was that the early church grew so quickly that I think it's worth sharing again. In his book, The Triumph of Christianity, Rodney Stark says this. He says, To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Homelessness, poverty, newcomers, epidemics, Fires. I mean, do we have any of those things today? We do, and we have the same gospel. Now, I said this section was about encouragement in the present, so my goal in sharing this is not to beat you down with it. The truth is, I've been encouraged with so much of what I've seen during this season. You know, for the past two years, we've partnered with Ally Global for our Christmas project. Ally Global is a ministry that works with sex trafficking victims in Nepal. We set a goal last December of raising $15,000 toward that project. We raised more than $37,000. In the past two years, we've given over $60,000 to that ministry. That's partnering in the gospel in the present. And there are other ways we've been involved as well. Kids camps in the summer have looked different these past two years or past two summers. But what has happened is that we've actually started to look less inward and more outward. As a result of a relationship we've built with a local co-op, we had more kids attend from outside the church this summer than we've had any year of our existence. This winter, we also began partnering financially with Praxis Church, a church plant in Kelowna that's actually launching today. This is what a church does. We stay on mission regardless of what's happening around us. Yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the U.S. September 11th, 2001. Many of you remember that day. You you know where you were that day. One of the most memorable scenes to emerge from that day was the way that the New York Fire Department and other first responders were rushing in toward those buildings while everyone else was rushing away from them. Historically, this is actually what the church has done. We rush in when there's a crisis, crisis, not run away. We do not put our mission on hold in the midst of any kind of crisis. If anything, our eyes ought to be opened in a fresh way to the needs of those around us. The gospel is the only true hope for humanity. Paul said it this way, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone who believes. So as a church, we are committed to preaching that same gospel week in, week out, as we gather, as we scatter. And so as we celebrate this 10th birthday or this 10th anniversary of our existence as a church, I wanted to say something to you about my thankfulness for the past. I wanted to give you a word of encouragement in the present. And I also want to share with you my optimism for the future. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. 
So much has changed over the past two years. So many of those things that we took for granted seem far less stable today. Lots of relationships have changed. Trust in many of our institutions has plummeted. There are lots of businesses wondering, will they survive? Maybe the only two certainties in life are death and taxes. This season has been difficult for many of you as well. You've walked through tough times. And it can be hard to be optimistic in the midst of all that. But as Christians, I think we ought to be. I don't mean that we are optimistic about our circumstances or the trajectory of our culture. I mean, we ought to be optimistic because God continues to rule and reign. Listen to what Paul says in verse 6 of this passage as he writes to this church. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's actually writing collectively to the church, right? And what he's saying is, this God who began this work in you 10 years ago will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's confidence or optimism wasn't, you know what, I think I'm going to be out of prison soon. I'll see you again, then everything will be okay. Now, he hoped for that. I mean, that's his desire. He says that. But that wasn't the basis for his confidence. The basis for his confidence was what? It was that God who began a work of transformation in the hearts and the lives of the Philippians would finish that work. Paul's confidence was that on the day of Christ, on the day that everyone will stand before God in judgment, those he knew and ministered to and with in the city of Philippi would pass that test with flying colors. And that's actually the basis of my confidence for Crossroads Church as well. The truth is nobody knows what will happen tomorrow. Even when it comes to individual churches. I mean, we say... We remind ourselves regularly that Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is not a promise to an individual church. It's a promise to the church of Christ, all of us. So individual churches do sometimes come and go. Some of you have been listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill Church began in 1996 in Seattle. Something of an unlikely success story for a church in the city of Seattle. By the the time the 2000s rolled around, the church was growing rapidly. The church launched multiple campuses. At its peak, Mars Hill had an average weekly attendance of more than 13,000 people. But a leadership scandal and a power struggle hit the church in 2014... By the end of 2015, the church was no longer in existence. 13,000 people scattered. Because of the sort of celebrity culture involved, that story played out on a large stage. But that story is actually not unique. Lots of churches come and go. Lots of churches rise and fall. So if that is the case, then what is the basis of my confidence for Crossridge Church? Well, when we set out to plant this church, Andy, Rebecca, and I sat down and we determined that the metrics we wanted to use for the success of Crossridge Church 
were different than the ones commonly used in the church world. The most common measurements for church success has been referred to as the ABCs. Attendance, buildings, cash. Now, you can understand why those are the things that get measured. I mean, those are the things that are the easiest to measure. How many people are coming? How big is your building? What's the annual budget? Now, there's some value in measuring those things. I mean, if nobody is coming and nobody's giving, it probably says something about the health of the church. But the call that we've actually been given is to make disciples. It's not just to attract a crowd. It's not just to own buildings. It's not just to have a big budget. It is to make disciples of all nations. That's the metric we want to use. Now, it's harder to measure it, but you know it when you see it. And I hope and expect that Crossridge will exist for a long time, but sometimes a disciple will actually outlive an individual church. You know, in the midst of all the upheaval over the past couple of years, we've actually had a large number of people move away, some to the valley, some to the Okanagan, some to the island, some to other parts of Canada or to the States. And it's always difficult when that happens. But one of the tests of an effectiveness of a church's ministry is what happens when those individuals do move away. The Apostle John wrote this. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In the same way, I love to hear stories of what is happening in the lives of those who were once part of Crossridge, but who have moved away. So I think of a young lady named Jody, whose first experience with studying the Bible in any kind of depth took place in one of our women's Bible studies. She moved away, and when she moved to her new town, she could not find a study like that, so she started one. See, that's partnership in the gospel. I think of a young couple, Brent and Jeannie, who were baptized and married here. They're now living in Kelowna. They're now active in sharing their faith. From what I understand, they're now part of the new church plant I mentioned earlier in the city of Kelowna. That's partnership. I think of what happened when we helped with the planting of Tri-City Church. We sent 10% of our people with them, and not just the people we wanted to get rid of, right? (laughs) We sent good people Now, I've had the opportunity to go there and preach a couple of times. And I will tell you, it fills my heart with joy. It filled my heart with joy to park in that parking lot. And the guy in the parking lot who's looking after parking used to be part of Crossridge. So great to be led in worship by someone who used to be part of Crossridge. So great to see their kids' ministry led by someone who used to be part of Crossridge. Four of their staff members came from our church. That's partnering in the gospel. Now, I know that's all focused on people who aren't here any longer. I get that. But I want to say God is doing that same kind of work among you. And that's what gives me confidence or optimism. The work that God has begun to do at Crossridge is not complete. It's not like God was here for the pre-launch phase and the launch phase, but has kind of moved on to other projects. No, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it because God always finishes what he starts. 
So as I think about the next 10 years of our existence as a church, I have every confidence that there will be more individuals who will come to faith in Christ. That there will be more individuals who get baptized as a step of obedience. That there will be more people who develop a deeper passion for God's word and a heart to obey it. I have every reason to believe there will be some who will receive a call to church ministry or church planting or foreign missions. As a church, we're committed to seeing gospel-centered churches planted all across BC, and I believe we'll play an even greater role in that. I'm optimistic about the future. I have every expectation that some of you will become so gripped by the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit that the way you view your vocation and your material possessions will be transformed. I believe that some of you who feel like you're just barely hanging on will experience a sense of spiritual renewal. And the reason I'm so confident in that is because I know God finishes what he starts. I know that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Now, this entire section of Philippians chapter 1 is about the way Paul prayed for the church in the city of Philippi. That's how he began. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He's praying for them. And as I thought about how to end our time in God's word this morning, I think that the, the most fitting way that we can do that is to actually pray the prayer that Paul prays at the end of this passage in verses 9 to 11. I want to end simply by praying this prayer over you as a church. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, let that be true.